Welcome, 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 everyone, to this episode of Tech Cars Machines. I'm your host, Ali Tabibian. We've crossed the thousand listener mark, and we're glad you're all here. If you look at our website, www.gtkpartners.com, or listen to our introductory episode of this podcast series, you'll know that we think Tech Cars Machines is about the intersection of three major areas of technology and the world, of course, of cars and machines. The three areas of technology are sensors, connectivity, and software. Today, we're going to have our first episode on sensors. As usual, we bring you the very, very best people to understand what's going on in the particular world we're about to talk about. Our guest today is Behruz Abdi, currently the Chief Executive Officer of TDK InventSense. He's a very long-tenured semiconductor executive, has been a chief executive a couple times, most recently and currently as chief executive of TDK's InventSense unit. Behruz was originally an investor and board member uh, in InventSense when it was venture-backed. He became its chief executive when InventSense was a public company, and uh, through a lengthy process that ended or came to fruition, I should say, in late 2016, he orchestrated the sale of InventSense for $1.3 billion to TDK, a Japanese multinational. At the time, InventSense probably had half the world's market share in high-end smartphones like iPhones and uh, Samsung Galaxies as far as some of the sensors in those devices were concerned, and it had pretty good footprints elsewhere. Their new owner, TDK, has a strong position in automotive sensors. That unit also now reports to Behrouz in the combined TDK and Vincent's unit. A quick note about something that Behrouz mentions in this interview. When describing the bright future of sensing, he uses the word integration. Given his background at Qualcomm, there's more meaning to the word integration when it comes from Behrouz. You see, for years, the fortunes of Qualcomm a successful and storied name in cell phones and smartphones, especially in their communications technologies like CDMA. Qualcomm's success was driven by that one word, integration, meaning this. Every generation of cell phone required integrating greater numbers of antennas and frequencies so the phones could work in a greater number of locations in different countries and utilize multiple cell towers for maximum benefit. It seems like Behrouz sees the future of sensing to be at the same spot. By the way, Behrouz has a very good sense of humor. It didn't really come out in the formal parts of the interview, so we left in a few seconds of the informal parts of the taping so you can see what we mean. To go directly to the interview, go to minute seven and a half of this episode. Otherwise, I'm going to spend the next few minutes explaining a few things about why sensors are a big deal. A sensor is a device that measures some characteristic of the physical environment, uh, such as temperature, or a relationship with that environment, such as, am I accelerating or coming to a stop? You're all familiar with the humble mercury thermometer. It was invented about 200 years ago by Mr. Daniel Fahrenheit in Amsterdam. To put a fancy phrase to it, the thermometer is a temperature sensor. So there's an example of a sensor, a very simple sensor, which has been around for centuries. Light sensors are pretty important too. Beginning in the 1840s, the most important light sensor of all was silver halide film, the kind that made the Kodak company famous and made photography ubiquitous. Another example, sensing motion is helpful in ships, aircrafts, and rockets. Gyroscopes, which are devices originally with parts that spun like a top, are in this class of sensor. 
about 150 years ago is when their technology started becoming useful commercially. Early, very precise versions that went into rockets and missiles were the size of really large balls, you know, the kind that people bounce around on in the gym to pretend that they're exercising. The big deal is that people have figured out how to make an increasing number of sensor types with semiconductor manufacturing techniques. These are the same techniques that deliver wondrous results in your smartphones and computers. This means you are harnessing hundreds of billions of dollars of investment that the semi-industry has made in miniaturization, precision, robustness, and critically, in manufacturing chips that are easily integrated with electronic devices. Let's go back to our light sensor. Can you imagine trying to squeeze 35mm Kodak film into your smartphone? The reason you don't have to do it is that a particular type of semiconductor chip called a charge-couple device, or CCD, was developed beginning in the late 1960s. A CCD is basically a matrix of tiny sensors, each called a pixel, which detects light, just like the Kodak film. Unlike film, obviously, the light is immediately converted to an electrical value for processing, and it can be erased and reused repeatedly. When Apple says the iPhone X has a 12-megapixel camera, it means the CCD chip inside has 12 million tiny sensors in it. These same compact and cheap chips enable your automobile to have multiple cameras installed, including those that contribute to self-driving. Now, film is a flat, simple mechanism. Can we make a lot more complex devices in semi-technology? Can we make a gyroscope and mimic the output of its spinning parts using semi-technology? I don't know. Can we? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. About 30 years ago, Another big deal happened in sensing, and that's called microelectrical mechanical systems, or MEMS. Basically, you're carving complex patterns on silicon to mimic physical devices. You're using the same techniques again that you use to carve transistors into these semiconductor devices. These MEMS units don't always work exactly like the mechanical device they're mimicking, but achieve the same sensing result. Let me give you an example that was really striking to me, and it's an example of a motion sensor. I once saw a microscope photograph of a shape that had been etched into a semiconductor chip. It looked like an empty swimming pool with a diving board over it. Now imagine someone kicking the device from below. The swimming pool would suddenly jerk up, but the diving board would flex and actually its tip would get closer to the bottom of that swimming pool. That's pretty physically intuitive to you, I'm sure. It turns out that by applying a voltage to that swimming pool and the diving board, you can measure the amount of flex infer the type of motion that caused that flex and do something useful like inflate an airbag to save your life. This type of motion sensor and others that measure magnetic field, the compass, etc. don't just make your smartphone smarter and your automobile better, as we described, but also allow the creation of new classes of machines such as the small consumer and commercial drones that are becoming fairly prevalent. Furthermore, you'll hear from Behrouz about how these modern sensors are starting to replace legacy versions in the industry. We hope you enjoyed this little explanation. Let's get to it. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Now okay. uh, that the timer has started, we're going to go live. The only thing I would say, Beruz, is the microphones are quite sensitive. So if you, you know, tap on the desk or do something like that, it really picks it up okay. uh, really well. Let's get started. Here a little bit and that way I don't get tempted to... Pound on the Pound table, the table when yeah, you're really yeah. excited about something. <laughs>
Great. We're here today with Mr. Behrouz Abdi, Chief Executive Officer of Invencense, which is now a unit of the Japanese company TDK. Behrouz, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about what's really a passion for me and a really high degree of interest for TDK. So it's great. Thank you. Excellent. For a lot of our uh, listeners know that the podcast is an offshoot of our conferences, which you were kind enough twice to present at. I think last year we had a scheduling conflict with your presence. And um, one of the things you really did for conference attendees in, that, in those conferences is really lay out what the world of sensors are doing for the magic of IoT and industrial IoT to really happen and happen in form factors and at price points that really make a lot of these devices possible to be consumed at volume. And your history in the semiconductor industry uh, goes back for quite a long time. And, and, and essentially, you've been there since the beginning. You've seen how the influence of technology, especially hardware technologies and semiconductor technologies, have sort of enabled communications and computing products, then started right. going into the world of personal communication products, mainly phones and smartphones, right. and are now spilling out from their other devices. And with TDK, you have also have their, um, their automotive business, sensing business right. reporting to you. Beruz, tell us where you started and how you got here. Well, I've been in the semiconductor industry, as you mentioned, for a long time, uh, probably a little bit over 32 years. And I started my career at Motorola Semiconductor as an engineer, analog, and uh, what later became mixed signal design engineer. And uh, I rose up uh, through the ranks uh, during the early phases of uh, growth in the disk drive and then later on with cell, uh, cellular phones. And as you know, Motorola was really big into cell phones, and we actually designed some of the chips. I personally designed a couple of the chips for the first, uh, what was called the Motorola StarTac, the, the first flip phone. And through the years, I moved into operations, marketing, and general management. Uh, after 18 years with Motorola, I was uh, uh, recruited into Qualcomm, where I was the general manager for the chip business, what was called... Qualcomm CDMA Technologies, and uh, where I was there, I learned about the the power of platform and software, and I got really exposed beyond analog and RF, which I had learned at Motorola. I got exposed into digital chips, so I got really into the Moore's law and and how it's really transforming communication. And after Motor, after Qualcomm, I joined the a small company, private company called uh, RMI. And uh, at RMI, we were doing multi-core processors. I was the CEO there. And these multi-core processors would go into some uh, consumer devices, but mostly really targeted towards data centers. So this is the early phase of um, uh, multi-cores. And multi-core processors were coming in to really compensate for the fact that Moore's Law, if you had a single processor, the more you added uh, uh, processing power to it, the hotter it got, and heat was getting out of the, you know, out of, uh, out of hand, and we had to deal with that. So we sold the uh, RMI to a public company called uh, NetLogic. It was one of our technology partners, and we sold it for all stock deal. And uh, about two years later, we sold NetLogic to Broadcom for uh, about uh, somewhere between three point seven to four billion dollars. That was at the time the largest exit in semiconductor in a decade 
which I know these days $4 billion is a jump <laughs> change for a lot of the companies. And uh, after that, I took some time off to figure out what I wanted to do in my career, whether I wanted to stay in semiconductor or not. But I realized that semiconductor is actually a very, very exciting. Uh, and in fact, uh, sensors are going to be where RF and analog was 20 years ago. It's going to be a multi-decade opportunity. And uh, since I had led the strategic investment into InvenSense a decade before, when I was at Qualcomm, I was asked for the, uh, by the board to join the board and eventually become the CEO. So that's the, my background and uh, a little bit about uh, the company. Let me ask you, you said you could sense that, no pun intended, sensors are where RF was decades ago. What do you mean by that? What was, what was, what was the intuition uh, there? Well, when I was uh, dealing with RF in the 90s, I could see the complexity of multiple bands and multiple modes coming in. You started with a GSM phone and an analog phone and a CDMA phone, and pretty soon it was like, well, analog and GSM together, or GSM and CDMA together. Pretty soon you saw technologies like Bluetooth come in, or uh, bands, you had to deal with different bands because you couldn't get at one contiguous set of bands together in any company, in any country. So you had to deal with multiple bands. So the RF was getting complex and you couldn't have all these RF radios, all these radios in a phone in a form factor that was usable. So you, RF miniaturization, multi-band, multi-mode uh, technology had to evolve. Uh, and that's what happened in the 90s. We were, I was very focused on R, what I called RF miniaturization. Make them small, make them cheap, and they will come. <laughs> and the same thing now, when I look at a sensor, uh, you look at these phones that have one or two or three sensors, and I look at any phones or any device, and I look at it and say, it shouldn't be one or two uh, sensors. It's like you can't have a human being with an eye or another human being with an ear, you gotta have all these multiple sensors. So multi-sensory experience is extremely crucial to any product, any device in the future. Same thing I saw with processing, you would have either a single core that's very powerful, or you could start with a lot of very low power, but fairly efficient, maybe less capability cores, but you have a swarm of processing cores and you can have something that's much more power efficient and much more uh, higher performance than a single core. What you're basically saying is in terms of aggregation and integration and really driving the efficiency of, uh, of how these sensors are, are built, you saw enormous runway. Exactly. Uh, decades exactly. of runway, uh, essentially. And sensors that we hadn't thought of, but you know, and, and really sensor fusion. How do you take multiple sensors together and form a decision. I mean, that's really what sensors are doing. Right. It's helping you form a decision by sensing the ambient world, whether it's in a mobile phone, in an industrial environment, or at home. Your work that brought you to InventSense is about a specific type of sensors, right? Ones based on MEMS technology. That is correct. What is that? In, in layman's term, uh, MEMS is a way to shrink mechanical devices through silicon. It's really miniaturizing mechanical devices. You could imagine any mechanical lever or a motor or anything that moves and shrinking it to the size of a piece of silicon chip. So it's a process is using silicon technology 
uh, semiconductor technology to, to shrink mechanical devices. And it started really in the 70s and 80s. And one of the motivations for it back then was to utilize old fabs that were no longer keeping up with Moore's Law. So people started to think about using them for shrinking mechanical devices. And the, one of the first applications were, were accelerometers for airbag deployment. And uh, it's a device that basically a single axis of an accelerometer lever where if the car uh, changes speed too rapidly, the, de- the mechanical device moves a little bit slower than the movement of the car. That's an excellent description. Now, bookend the history of InventSense for us as a way of showing us where the industries come. What was uh, InventSense's first product and where is it now? Okay, as we talked about MEMS being a mechanical device, uh, shrinking it has uh, challenges of robustness, quality, and reliability in addition to performance. So Invences was founded in 2003 to solve those problems and really enable a fabless model for MEMS, meaning that we could put together uh, MEMS together with CMOS, which is a mechanical device plus the intelligence in CMOS, all on one piece of wafer, and make it robust such that it could uh, go into just about any product and make it small and, and really solve those type of issues. The first product was something, uh, the, a product called the gyroscope, and gyroscope uh, measures rotational motion uh, of, uh, of the movement uh, of a device, whatever that device is. Like missiles have guidance systems based exactly, on gyroscopes. Exactly, based right. on gyroscopes, right. Uh, the first application, and at the time, the, the biggest market, at least on the consumer for gyroscopes where digital cameras or actually high-end cameras, SLR cameras, where you would put some kind of a gyroscope into the lens, you compensate for the movement of the hand and you get a sharper image. And at that time, digital cameras were starting to come in at a rapid pace and digital cameras wanted to have the same stabilization technology. And they adopted gyroscope and they adopted the InvenSense gyroscopes. But the, really, the first big market came from gaming. At the time, Nintendo, a very innovative company in Japan, was looking to put motion sensing into their controllers. And they were really looking to innovate through motion sensing. And they approached InvenSense, and our product got adopted into the, uh, into the motion controller. When I came into the company in 2012, as the CEO, and a year before that, as a board member, we were starting to gain adoption into the mobile phone. Again, for the same reason, the first adoption of uh, motion sensors in mobile phones were for sensing the rotational motion, mostly for gaming, and then also for digital image uh, uh, stabilization. So image stabilization and gaming were the two applications of the mobile phone. And uh, because of my background in the mobile ecosystem, I was asked to come in and uh, join the board. And later on, I took over as the CEO, and we started to really uh, work the ecosystem and grow in that market. Really, a mobile and consumer is very good for any semiconductor product to grow volume. <laughs> uh, it's fast volume. Uh, the challenges with that is that you go up and you go down just as much as you go up, and it's a very volatile market. So eventually, you need to diversify. So for the last four or five years, we've done a couple of things. We really focused on diversification on other sensors with the same technology platform. Uh, 
We focus on diversifying markets into automotive, home, uh, IoT, and more recently into industrial. And the third thing that uh, we've done is really build a system around a system solution around sensors. Coming from a background at Qualcomm, we looked at a modem chip having hardware and software, and that modem basically, sent, together with the RF chips, sensed and transformed the RF technology and RF signal into something that was understood by the digital circuits and eventually processed voice for, and data for communication. Same thing with the sensors. You are communicating with the ambient world. So being able to sense, process, and communicate is really important. So we really focused on the software that could fuse different sensor data and uh, not only sense, but really create a much more accurate sensor data that eventually gets processed either in the cloud or in the edge uh, for making decisions around the device, whether it's motion or uh, after some time uh, we picked up audio so microphones is another sensor, MEMS-based sensor, processing and fusing motion data with audio data, and uh, more recently with other sensors such as pressure sensor and barometric sensors for all kinds of applications. So Barris, just very quickly, a smartphone that we have here sitting on the table today, how many sensors does it have? Just give us a sense, gyros, magnetometers, what you know. It could easily have a north of 20 sensors, 20 to 30 sensors. And that, you know, the different variations of the definition of the sensor. Some people, for example, call GPS a sensor, but it's an RF chip. Uh, but really, if you look at the sensors, uh, motion sensing, audio sensing, there's multiple microphones. In some of the high-end phones, there are as many as four, maybe even five microphones. Uh, barometric sensing, temperature sensing touch sensor, fingerprint sensor, so we can go on and on. There are many different sensors in these, uh, in these phones. Yeah, there's that growth and integration that exactly. you saw uh, exactly. happening in the exactly. industry. You touched on something really interesting, which is trying to incorporate a lot, lot more smarts right where the sensor is and have the sensors report something more interesting than just data. And one of the big things in IoT and in industrial IoT is this debate of where actually in any, any uh, dispersed architecture, where's the intelligence? Where should the right. intelligence be? That's been a big back and forth. What are your uh, insights and findings, if you will, over the last year of where that debate is either happening or being settled right. toward? I, I think it, it's really going to be a heterogeneous architecture where it's going to be distributed throughout the chain. What you really need the cloud for is infinite storage and compute power. But you don't need infinite power and, uh, and storage for a lot of decisions that you need to make right away. And the downside of uh, communicating everything to the cloud and making decisions at the cloud, just like it's been that same issue for the last few decades, is the latency, not having coverage all the time, and, and power of transmission. So we think that there are some really key decisions that the sensor can make immediately with very low latency right there at the edge. And then there's within the sensor, in fact. Uh, and then there are decisions that need to be made in a bigger processor. And most of these devices either have a microcontroller or have an application processor. And that application processor can uh, process some of that and then send the rest into the cloud for infinite storage and compute so that, you know, learning can happen. So it'll be heterogeneous. So when we look at that, 
we look at what is good enough for sensor fusion. For example, a lot of decisions, if you have multiple axes uh, in, a, in a motion sensor like these, these days there are six or seven axes in, a, in a, any kind of motion sensor, you can make decision as to the device activity. You can really collect context. You don't need to send raw data as to X, Y, Z axis where they're moving. What you can say is that the context of this de device is that it's moving at this speed and rotating at that speed and doing this. And uh, you can batch that information and send it every few seconds or every few minutes or in industrial, maybe once a day. So you can be very efficient, but uh, having some intelligence in the sensor is incredibly important, uh, even more important now than it was before. And that's why we built this company around sensors, sensor fusion, and more intelligence. In fact, we've uh, had products where we've had microcontrollers embedded into the sensor. So we think that that's an evolution that will continue to happen with more Moore's Law and as people look to make more efficient decisions on the sensors. Yeah, interesting. And I, uh, we were talking um, earlier and you mentioned that your new owner, TDK, actually the software technology within uh, InventSense is something, both the culture and the, 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 the know-how, is, is an important rationale for that acquisition. Oh, it is. They actually very excited about the fact that we have software. And uh, with software, you can also uh, fuse different sensors of the same kind. For example, you could have a, what I call a multi-core or multi-sensor. You could have either one real powerful, power-hungry and large motion sensor, or you could have a swarm of motion sensors in an industrial device or in a car and collect data from different parts of the car or from different parts of the robot or different parts of any industrial unit and fuse all that together. And with software and DSP or the microcontroller, you can make a decision as a much more accurate and much more power efficient decision than you would have made with that one really expensive large sensor. So that I think is going to be that's going to be more important. And it allows you to have uh, to use more or less off the shelf consumer uh, sensors but at a different level. So, uh, Beruz, that's a really interesting point that's been being bandied about in the industry, which is, look, obviously the sensors that were developed for the smartphone apply themselves really well to many consumer devices. Drones actually being a quasi-consumer device uh, being a great example uh, of that. And there's always been the thought that the same technology could be applied to an industrial environment, uh, maybe even an automotive environment. To what extent has that all come true? That is coming true in a big way. In, in fact, we think that just like any other industry, I think that consumer, consumerization eventually comes to every industry. Uh, and with the technology improvements down the car, uh, cost curve and the power curve, what happens is that the capability of the sensors continues to go up and you can use multitude of sensors so to get a probability of a decision based on one, sen one really accurate sensor is no better and actually could be worse than using 10 sensors and different type of sensors to collect them and get, use sensor fusion to make a much more accurate decision with lower latency and lower weight. In a, even in a, in a car uh, for ADAS or for an industrial robot. So 
what consumerization does, what the consumer market does, drive volume, drive cost curve, drive low power. It's, uh, as you know, it's brutally competitive. You have to innovate every year. And that is very hard to do if you're only focused on the industrial market. And we see that with companies, traditional companies that were only focused on the automotive and industrial market, what we see is that their roadmap's running into a dead end. They can't innovate anymore. Uh, and now they have to figure out how to shrink these sensors and make them lower power, but their technology is so outdated. So we're coming in from behind and from the below. We're the uh, low-end disruptors that continue to improve every year and improve performance, power, and cost. That's very, very, very fascinating. Perus, I have two more questions, one of them which leads off directly what you just said. That convergence that you're describing basically to some extent is a story of the acquisition of, of TDK, uh, of InventSense. Take us into a little bit of the rationale for that transaction and how you now sit in the, in, in the space versus you know, other players in the, in the space. Very good question. We felt that TDK would be a great partner for us from the very beginning. There might be, there's of course the financial part of the transaction, but really for long-term merger and integration, we, to, and for this uh, to be successful, you need to be with a company that really truly values your technology and vice versa. What we valued from TDK is their expertise in material science. They've been a material company since the beginning for 80 years. Uh, whether it's magnetics material, whether it's other technologies that they're innovating at the very uh, nanoscopic level, we felt that for sensors to grow and continue to scale, you need access to more advanced materials. So from that angle, it was really good for us. They were already doing sensors, dealing with uh, some sensors, and they had a great channel into the industrial and automotive market, which we utilized. So that value came to us from that end. Uh, what we brought to them was really the system expertise, the software expertise, and it's really hard to describe the expertise at the system level until you have it and you feel you see what it does for you. First of all, it, it, when you know when you can put a system together, you know where the weaknesses and strengths of the use case are. And if your hardware is not perfect, you can fix it through some software uh, angle, and you can always put some other component into the product and use software to improve your sensor fusion, and you can really compensate for some of the deficiency in the hardware. And we see that, and they see that now. And in fact, we've actually opened up new markets and customers for them where they had magnetic sensors or some other sensors in the temperature and pressure, and with software, we've been able to help them get access to new use cases and understand why customers drive certain specs. And that is very, very powerful. From that angle, it's been, it's been really great. On the industrial and automotive side, being able to visit customers with total system solution has been really powerful. With IoT, is the same thing. They have uh, both on the uh, consumer IoT and on the industrial IoT even more, they have really great connections. And that's what we're able to really pull together at the system level and take to their customer or to now our customers at a broader sense. Where does TDK InventSense sit in its uh, space now? Who are the people who are adjacent to you? In terms of competition, there's uh, the component guys. There's a typical uh, Bosch, SD Micro, Murata, 
And then uh, Freescale NXP at different levels with different sensors, they're different co competitors. When we look at our portfolio, we don't think that there's anybody who has the broad spectrum of the sensors that we have now. We started with motion sensors, then we got into microphones, we actually acquired the microphone business from analog devices several years ago, and we've been able to advance that to the next level. More recently, we have gotten into a barometric pressure sensor, which allows us to sense what floor you're on in an indoor navigation uh, use case or for health and fitness, calorie count, how many steps you're going up and down the stairs. And then we have, uh, more recently, we have gotten into ultrasonic sensors. There's so many applications for ultrasonic. One of the first products that we started with organically at Invencence was for the fingerprint sensing using ultrasonic technology. And again, together with CMOS and MEMS, we're able to do some really amazing things with the architecture. And we very recently, in the last couple of months, we acquired a company in Berkeley called Chirp Microsystems. And their technology is used to detect gestures in several meters and objects and uh, shapes. So very, very useful for future of object detection, uh, object recognition, uh, collision avoidance in robots, and also in drones. So, so many, many different applications in uh, VR applications, which is one of the first applications for uh, that uh, ultrasonic technology. We can fuse motion and ultrasonic technology to very accurately uh, locate the controller position in the VR mode and uh, really uh, solve some very innovative uh, challenges and create a much more immersive experience with VR. So sensor fusion, again, is something that's uh, very important for our company as now we've grown to a system solution company. If you look past the time period of your typical development pipeline, if you sort of go past your development pipeline, what are your predictions or prognostications for, uh, for the space? Uh, and we, we're not going to hold you to it. I'm not right. going to come back in three or four years and say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> well, uh, one <laughs> thing is that, uh, especially in the industrial and automotive, you, can see, you will see a lot more uh, sensors and uh, what I call a swarm of sensors that will be coming in together with the power of uh, the uh, uh, cloud and the architecture uh, on the CMOS side, you'll see that. And with AI, you'll see a lot of innovation in that area. One thing that I've always said around Moore's Law is I don't bet against Moore's Law. It's been continuing to enable smaller and more powerful devices. But the thing that I've been really surprised about is that with AI, it's actually the capability has been actually growing faster in the last five to 10 years. So you will have products with AI sensing and a lot more powerful processing in every device. And what that means, especially as privacy becomes a bigger issue, you don't have to go to the cloud for a lot of the AI applications. You can actually do AI on a chip uh, not necessarily the sensor, but at the edge. Together with a bunch of sensors, you can make really fast decisions and be private and not share that data with anybody else. You go to the cloud for learning. You know, that's all. So again, whether it's a personal device or an industrial device where security is even more important, you can do a lot more interesting things uh, at that level. And that's, uh, I think, one of the things that we're going to see as sensors develop into lower costs and lower 
lower power. That's fabulous. Thank you for that description. I hadn't really thought about um, what I think Apple calls differential privacy, you know, right. keeping things local as much as possible, about that being driven by a lot of the, uh, being made possible by the, a lot of the developments and the learning not being lost. Right, uh, right. And that's so. something that uh, you can uh, have the history, you can have uh, the privacy and security, have it all together. And when you think about IoT, the way I describe IoT is where are you, what are you doing, who are you, and how do you feel? And that's all about sensors. If you look at what IoT enabled, uh, applications like Uber or you know, DoorDash, when you click on an app, and you order food or order a ride, it knows that it is you and it is it knows where you are. And that now going into all kinds of devices, that capability and not sharing that data with their cloud, with their servers, I think it's going to be the next big thing. And I think sensors together with AI will enable a lot more of that. Great. Beirut, thank you very much. I know we have to get you going for an important appointment. Is there anything else in the next 60 seconds or so that we should uh, talk about? Or I think we covered we... most of it. I think it's really important to uh, the audience to be energized uh, about semiconductor and realize that there's a lot more innovation uh, that's coming, and we just seeing the start of that. And with sensors, you're going to see a lot of that in innovation. Every device around you whether you're at home, in the car industry, at the enterprise. And one of the areas that long-term I'm very excited about to see sensors come into is the medical field where it'll really make people not just more productive, but enable healthier lifestyles. Amen. I certainly need to live more healthily. Maybe if I could, uh, do you have any sensors I could drink on my way out? <laughs> <laughs> we'll pour some for you. It's experimental, though. <laughs> That's a, only the top shelf stuff, please. <laughs> Beirut, thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Tech, cars, machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com.